The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you have been following along with us in this series, um, you know that the rhythm of Ecclesia is that um, we participate in Lent, but on Sundays, we take time to pause and celebrate instead of fast. And the theme of this series that we're doing is celebrating uh, different subjects within Pastor Chris's book, A Place at the Table. And as I was looking at this book and looking at the table of contents, I noticed the introduction uh, read, an invitation to a life-changing journey. And the second chapter had a subtitle, Embracing Our Ability to Change Things. And so I thought today we could focus on celebrating change. And change is a common theme, not just in Pastor Chris's book, but also in the Bible. And I don't think celebrating change is always easy, especially when the change is unfair or unjust. I'm not sure the word celebration is the right one, but what I do know is that one consistent theme of our Christian tradition in the Bible is change. And I have found in my own life that imagining change is a lot more fun than doing change. Um, For instance, um, my family and I recently moved about 25 minutes away from our um, past residence. And I developed a slight addiction to Zillow the past five years. And I thought it was a practical ad- addiction, you know? I am, we are moving, so I need to know the real estate of the entire country at all times. <laughs> and I am getting updates about ski lodges um, in Denver. By the way, I do not ski. <laughs> I-, I would be on my phone and inform my husband, oh, won't you know, the Taylor Crest home is pending. Well, they just dropped the price, 50 grand. And he's like, why do you know this? And now that we have moved, I have not subsided my addiction. I continue to look on Zillow. Um, I'll probably check it later this week, just to be in the know. I'm also not a realtor. But imagining the fantasy of living in all these different places is fun. Do you know what is not fun? Packing, like actually moving is not that romantic. Changing your internet services and uh, changing your address on your license and all the little details, that is not as romantic and fun as Zillow. Yet the Bible is full of change. David changed from a shepherd to a king. Paul changed from a persecutor to a preacher. Joseph went from prisoner to prime minister. As we've been talking about in this series, the Israelites went from enslaved to free. Jonah went from the ship to the belly of a whale. And lastly, the ultimate story of transformation and change is at the heart of the Christian tradition. Jesus went from death to life. To be a Christian is to know that we live a story of change. 
And my guess is that even your faith has evolved and changed throughout the years. For many of us, our faith has had to evolve in order for it to survive. The word evolve, coming from a word like evolution, means to adapt and survive. And I know for me, my faith um, is not the same as it was as a child. My ideas and opinions and imagination of who God is has changed. Um, I grew up in a uh, Lutheran church, well, a UCC church and then a Lutheran church, and I was in middle school when I got confirmed in eighth grade. And in our tradition, when you got confirmed, that meant that you could participate in the Eucharist and take the bread and wine or grape juice. And that was a big deal. I remember feeling like I am confirmed, the big C, I'm ready for it. Those seventh graders, they don't know what they're talking about, but Jesus is ready for me. And later, when I was 24 years old, I was teaching at a Catholic high school that I loved. I loved the leadership. I loved the Catholic priests at the school. One thing that I didn't love is that when we would participate in mass and I'd go up with my class, I couldn't participate in communion. And there's so much I love about Catholicism and the theology and the tradition. And I remember talking to the priest one-on-one and trying to understand, and it made sense to me. He explained it in a way that, you know, if you really don't believe that this um, communion is the same thing that we believe it is, um, it's not really an exclusion of you, but it's an acknowledgement that we come to the table with different beliefs, and that made me feel better, and I could understand it intellectually, but it didn't change the embarrassment I had when my class would watch me go up there and be the only one of the 30 of us to not participate. And it wasn't um, a a huge deal in my mind, it was a little deal. But later, um, a couple years ago, I got invited to preach at a church in San Diego. And if you get invited to preach in San Diego, you say yes. And uh, I love this leadership in the church community at this particular church. And in the congregation, I kid you not, they brought their dogs to church, about 50% of them. So not only was it in San Diego, but I got to preach to an audience of faces and furry faces. It was the best. Dogs might be better audience members too. And uh, during communion, Some of them brought their dogs up to communion. And I don't really remember if the dogs took communion or not, but honestly, I don't really care. Because what I do know is that my beliefs about communion have changed and adapted, and I can recognize that even the Christian tradition has changed its opinion on who can participate and who can't. And I'm not here to tell you the right theology to believe, but what I do know is that change is part of our Christianity in our Christian faith, whether we like it or not. When I think about changing and adapting, and that this is really a survival technique, whether it's for your faith or for life, I always think of this classic example, and that is a tadpole turning into a frog. 
It reminds me that when we adapt and change, it's, it serves a purpose. A, a tadpole could not survive on land, staying as a tadpole, in the same way that a frog could not go back in history and try to survive this new amphibious life as a tadpole. Change and adaptations are necessary. And it's not the strongest that survive, it's those that are able to adapt in the most healthy ways that often survive. And I think our faith is no different. Yet with change comes this word that none of us like, and that's uncertainty. All change is risky and uncertain. And I think that as Christians, we can tolerate that risk and uncertainty, mostly because we know the one thing that never changes. And that's the love of Christ for us. Because that will never change, we can live in this uncertain world. Today, um, I have a scripture-heavy sermon. I haven't done that in a while. I'm gonna warn you. We almost read John 1 through 44. I did trim some things out, but it's a good story, and it preaches better than I can. So we're gonna do a lot of reading today because it's a good story. It's a story about resurrection. And as a Christian, when I hear that word, I think of Jesus. But what this story reminds me of is that Jesus was not the only resurrection story in the Bible. There was this other guy named Lazarus who also resurrected. That was a spoiler alert, but the end of the story is good news. And it starts off John 11. It reads, there was a certain man who was very ill. He was known as Lazarus from Bethany, which is the hometown of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary did a beautiful thing for Jesus. She anointed the Lord with a pleasant smelling oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, became deathly ill. So the sisters immediately sent a message to Jesus, which said, Lord, the one you love is very ill. And Jesus heard the message. Now, I have to believe uh, Jesus was the type of person who made everyone feel like they were the one that he loved. They, they literally reach out to him, the one you love is ill. And Jesus responds, his sickness will not end in his death, but will bring great glory to God. As these events unfold, the Son of God will be exalted. Jesus dearly loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. However, after receiving this news, he waited two more days where he was. So he gets this message and he waits two days. Martha, oh, spoiler alert. So um, during those two days that Jesus is waiting, Lazarus dies. Now imagine you uh, reached out to the only healer, the only miracle worker, the only best pastor that you know. It's an emergency, Lazarus is gonna die and he waits two days. So Martha responds to Jesus, She's frustrated. She says, Lord, if you had been with us, my brother would not have died. Even so, I still believe that anything you ask of God will be done. And Jesus responds, your brother will rise to life. 
Martha responds, I know he will rise again when everyone is resurrected on the last day. Jesus responds, I am the resurrection and the source of all life. Those who believe in me will live even in death. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never truly die. Do you believe this? Now, some scholars um, think that when, when it reads, those who believe in me, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, you could also substitute that word belief with trust. So those who trust in me will live, and everyone who lives and trusts in me will never die. I think both interpretations work well. And he says, do you believe this? Martha responds, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the anointed, the liberating king, God's own son, who we have heard is coming into the world. After this, Martha ran home to Mary. So to recap, uh, Martha gets these kind of cliche uh, Christian answers from Jesus about, well, don't you believe that life is through me? And Martha says, yes, I believe that. But when she goes home to Mary and Mary approaches Jesus, she has a similar response to Martha. And I, I would believe that she's pretty frustrated as well. Mary says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would still be alive. When Jesus saw Mary's profound grief and the moaning and weeping of her companions, he was deeply moved by their pain in his spirit and was intensely troubled. Jesus said, where have you laid his body? The Jews said, come and see, Lord. As they walked, Jesus wept. There's that famous line in the Bible, Jesus wept, showing his solidarity with humanity. And everyone noticed how much Jesus must have loved Lazarus, but others were skeptical. The others said, if this man can give sight to the blind, he could have kept Lazarus from dying. Then Jesus, who was intensely troubled by all of this, approached the tomb a small cave covered by a massive stone. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha was skeptical of Jesus again. She said, Lord, he has been dead four days. The stench will be unbearable. Jesus said, remember, I told you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. They removed the stone and Jesus lifted his eyes towards heaven. He said, Father, I am grateful that you have heard me. I know that you are always listening, but I proclaim it loudly so that everyone here will believe you have sent me. And after these words, he called out in a thunderous voice, Lazarus, come out. So Jesus is looking up at the sky. He shouts, Lazarus, come out. It's kind of like um, earlier in the series, we talked about Moses to Pharaoh on God's behalf. He shouts up in the sky, let my people go. It's this climactic moment in the story. Is Lazarus gonna be alive or dead? And sure enough, what happens? Then the man who was dead walked out of his tomb, bound from head to toe in a burial shroud. And Jesus said, unite him and let him go. So in this story, 
It's a story, the classic, most um, iconic story of change and transformation in the Christian Bible is resurrection. And I think that there are many main takeaways you could um, draw from this story. And I've come up with five. The first one is that Jesus wept. It's this famous line in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. I've seen it on t-shirts. It's this constant reminder that when we feel grief and lonely and upset and unsure, we have a God who knows what it's like to be in a human body, feeling that all with us. The second thing I think we need to extract from the story is that the people wanted a hero, but they got a savior. You know, Mary and Martha, they didn't want Lazarus to be dead for four days and resurrect. They wanted him to come to the rescue and spare all of them from the grief to begin with. They could have done without the whole Jesus wept story and skipped right to the glory. And we have a God who isn't heroic, saving us from suffering and pain, but we have a God that says, I'm so much more than a hero. I'm a savior. Shannon Craig Snell, she wrote an article called A Savior, Not a Hero, describing the theological differences between the two. And if I'm honest, in my life, I would rather have a hero too, a lot of times, especially in the short term. I'd rather not go through the hard, uncomfortable, weird, awkward things. I'd rather skip right to the fun. The third thing, I think that's important we take from this story is that change, even positive change, comes with loss. You know, at the end of the story, if you keep reading on after um, we stopped, you'll find out that there were really two different reactions to Jesus's miraculous healing. One was, oh my goodness, this guy really is who he says he is, let's follow him. Let's get behind him. The other reaction was let's kill him. This guy is a threat to a Roman powers in the Roman Empire. Let's make sure he is dead soon. Now, this doesn't seem that controversial. He healed a man. But there was tremendous loss in that act for Jesus. He put his life in danger. And in fact, he had to go into hiding after that for performing that miraculous healing. And my guess is that if you look at your own life in areas where you've made drastic changes, you did it for a purpose and a reason, but there was probably some loss that came with that change too. Maybe rejection from a family member. Maybe it was setting a hard boundary that was necessary but came with lots of grief and loss. All change comes with loss. My friend Judy Lee, who facilitates um, workshops for different corporations around the country, uh, she gives these seminars and I've been lucky enough to attend two of them. And I'll never forget this one line she said to a room full of people at Rice University. She said, good leaders, when enacting change within an organization, they always speak to the loss as well as what's to gain. 
And my guess is that you've probably been part of an organization or a team where there's been a giant reorg. All of a sudden, you have a different job title. You're doing something totally different. Maybe um, you didn't uh, approve of this change. It's just been given to you. Maybe you're a teacher teaching a new class. And no one acknowledged the toll and the cost and the risk that you had to bear because of this change. When leaders see us in our loss, sometimes that's all we need is to be acknowledged that I'm taking a hit here. We don't always uh, acknowledge the loss that comes with change. And when we don't, I'm afraid we're missing part of the larger Christian story that change comes with good and bad. The fourth thing that I think we should take from this story, that, and that is that resurrection is not just for the last day, but it is also for now. As I read that story, it's clear to me that Mary and Martha were thinking long-term about Jesus as a savior. Jesus would say things like, do you not believe, do you not trust that I am the one to life? And they were kind of like, yeah, 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 Jesus. My brother still died. And what happens is that Mary and Martha didn't have the imagination for what, what was possible because when it came time to reveal and open the tomb, what did they say? They said, don't do it. He's been dead four days. It's going to stink. I probably would have the same reaction. They didn't know what was possible because they weren't imagining and trusting that resurrection could also be for right now. I know in my life, um, I've had uh, areas in my life where I've thought that I've been positive that the tomb was shut. This is how it's gonna be, this is how it is. And I've been surprised. You know, to have our um, first son, Jet, it took some fertility treatments and that did not surprise me because I've always had hormonal issues and irregularities that made me think that naturally conceiving a child wasn't going to be possible. And then um, in December, we found out that we were pregnant. And today I am 17 weeks pregnant. And I was... Thanks. I was positive that story was impossible for me. The tomb was shut. I knew it was. And I don't know what it is in your life where you are positive the tomb is shut. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's the possibility of a better way of living of doing something. But my guess is that we all have these limiting beliefs that resurrection is for other people and it's for later. And this story reminds us it could be for now. You might be surprised just as Mary and Martha was. And finally, I can, I can blame my crying on the hormones, so. <laughs> finally, the last point I think is that resurrection is an ending and it is also a beginning. 
That's true for all change. Rochelle and Palmer talk, Rochelle and Sean Palmer talked last week about how Sabbath was also an ending and a beginning. And I think that's true for all change. You look, the end of a tadpole is the beginning of a frog. Change is an invitation to end things and it's also a reality that something new will be born if we can trust our God to take the next step and walk faithfully and humbly, just as Mary and Martha did with Jesus in the story. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.